All right, everybody. Good morning. Thanks for traversing the blizzard there across the way. That's incredible. Uh, my name is Justin, and uh, this is my wife, Kristen. And uh, we're just grateful that you carved out some time to join our session today. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to kick it off to Kristen here in just a moment, but I just wanted to pray uh, first for us if we can. I know we just came from a beautiful time of worship and uh, some prayer as well. And uh, in this incredible Pentecostal environment, I want to share a word that I feel the Holy Spirit gave me as well inside there. And I love that this is a, a room and environment that we can do that. Um, but let me start with this, this word first. I, I was reminded, um, actually, when, uh, and, and I wish I could catch her name, the gal who led worship uh, for the second half of the set. Um, she said, she called something out that was beautiful to me. And she said that, uh, Jesus, that you are a promise maker. And oftentimes we focus on the promise keeper portion of, of what God said. But I think the promise maker is just as important as the promise keeper. And I was reminded of that moment uh, where in Mark chapter 1 where the man with leprosy runs up to Jesus and says, If you're willing, will you make me clean? And if you remember Christ's answer, he said, I am both willing and able. I am both the promise maker and I'm the promise keeper. And I think both are important because if he's a promise maker but he can't keep it, that's no good. But if he is a promise keeper, but he never makes the promise, then it also reveals something about his character as well, that he is willing to withhold or not intervene when he can. But the reality is we serve a God who is both a promise maker and a promise keeper. And so I guess just the word was, whatever you came in here today with, needing a promise from God or fulfillment of that promise, God is both willing and able to do that with you and for you and through you. And so that was the word, uh, the word that I had. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time today. We're grateful for every single person that uh, has carved out time to make it here to Columbus, to be a part of these sessions here today. And even in this one, God, while we're talking about marketing and ways of engaging and reaching people, at the end of the day, it's an encounter with Jesus, as we talked about even earlier, that makes all the difference. And so, God, would you take this information today and help it to be transformative, help it to be something that's clear next step and takeaway, so that we can go about the business of doing good wherever you have called us to go. So, God, would you bless this time, and would you bless every single person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being here today. I know that there's a lot of other things that you could be doing and taking the time to invest in, in your church ministry and yourself. It's a sacrifice because I know there's people in here that are bivocational and this is, this is your day off and you're here. And I just pray that um, as, you, as you leave this space or this time that God equips you, God refreshes you, and that you're left here energized and expectant for what he has for you in your ministry. So my name is Kristen Reyes-Tarsic, and this is my husband Justin, like he said earlier, and we have been in ministry for over 20 years. We have held, we have had many different titles and hats and spaces. We've done ministry and megachurch environments, multi-campus environments, and then went on an adventure of planting a microchurch. We've done ministry in Seattle, went to LA, did ministry, Brooklyn, New York, Seattle, and then in the pandemic, God relocated us here to Cincinnati. Our story's on our website. You can kind of look at it. Just want to be mindful of, of, of time. But with that, one of the things that by moving to all of these different cities during this time is we've learned um, certain rhythms and ways to look at ministry to understand who God is calling us to reach in that neighborhood, in that context, in that space. And I think one of the things that technology has done, which is awesome in the body of Christ, has given us the ability to see what everybody else is doing. And oftentimes we replicate what other people are doing and not take the time to seek out what God is calling you to do in your neighborhood. He's called you to reach specific people for a specific reason. And so we're gonna go through the church market, uh, ministry marketing mix. This is basically the four Ps of marketing. 
um, Marketing 101 teaches you that you have a product and you place a product in a specific space at a price and then you tell people about it. Like let's, somebody name your favorite soda. Root beer? Is that what you said? Okay, so soda companies. Soda companies are trying to reach certain brands or trying to reach different people. The soda that maybe is all natural, organic, craft brewed, is trying to reach a different one that has a different audience in mind and is gonna distribute that product probably in a Whole Foods or a natural market versus Barks Root Beer that is trying to reach as many people as possible, especially young people who like sugar. Even they're gonna make their product different because they have a different goal in mind. The product for somebody that is like a Barks, it's gonna have high fructose corn syrup. It's gonna be mass produced and at a lower price but it's supposed to be available to more people. Then you get into niche markets, like I said, that organic craft root beer at Whole Foods that costs $7 a bottle instead of 75 cents. It, it, it's gonna be placed in different things. It has a different price, it's a product, but it has, it's different in all of those things because it's trying to reach somebody different. And so what I have found in doing church marketing is this type of framework sometimes makes pastors mad. They don't want to think of their ministry as a product. They don't want to think about the price. They don't like spending money on promotion. And they really hate when I talk about the people God's called them to reach as a target audience. So with that in mind, I've sort of reinvented the wheel. And so this is the ministry marketing mix. And so at the center of it, very much like in general marketing, God has called you to reach somebody. Who's God called you to reach? I'm asking a question, you can name it out. Who's God called you to reach? Do you know? A lot of times at the beginning sessions when, when churches have plateaued, ministries aren't moving forward, we've had strategic plans, Vision Sunday and all this, and a year later, our congregation is smaller. Or the pandemic has shifted everything, and we try to go back to life before. Sometimes people have moved out of your city. That was our story. We were church planters in a microchurch in Seattle. And the pandemic hit. People couldn't work. But we were ministering to a lot of singles. And within two months, 75% of our church left the city. And so then all of a sudden there's new people or there's no people. And what do you do? So knowing who God has called you to reach is really essential. You write it down. You make the vision plain. Sometimes for, is it churched or unchurched people? Is it married or singles? Is it families? Is it business owners? You want to be very specific in knowing that person because when you go to a conference, when you go to that big church that's doing bigger, better, more maybe, or you're inspired by somebody else, and you go back and you try to do it and it doesn't work, most times when you look at the churches that are successfully growing, they are meeting the need, the immediate needs, and they know who they're trying to reach. They're creating content. They're creating ministry. They're putting it at a place that makes it easily accessible for people. And that's why, and God is moving, so I don't want to discount that part. But they're doing certain things strategically that is making, making things happen a little bit easy. So please don't look at what your brother or sister in Christ is doing in Cincinnati and try to replicate it here in Columbus. Unless you could learn from some people, maybe the same people God's called you to reach and it might work. But that, that part I think just pains me because I see a lot of churches waste a lot of resource and money um, in trying to do what other ministries are doing. Can you go to the next one? If you don't know who God has called you to reach, who's in your neighborhood, here's some resources for you, some websites. Also, 
we're gonna, there's a QR code at the end that you can download our whole presentation, so you don't need to, you can take pictures, I'll smile if you want. <laughs> um, but uh, datausa.io is one of my favorites. So you type in your zip code, where your church or your ministry is. It's gonna tell you the population in 2020. It's gonna tell you who is representing that community. This is Cedarville, this is, I did this uh, slide last night at the hotel. It's gonna tell you the median age of people. It's gonna tell you the, the employment, the property value. This one's huge to look at, the poverty rate. This, when you are a multi-campus church or ministry, you need to know who you're talking about. I'm working with a church that has that has multi-campus and they're trying to do the exact same thing and they got stuck. And one of the biggest call-outs was you can't, you can't do some of the big better more when, ha when a third of your neighborhood lives in, the lives in poverty. You just can't do that. It's not gonna work as the rich suburb suburban affluent area. And so not everything translates because to take the same programming that's happening in a wealthy suburb and then put it in another neighborhood where the needs are different it doesn't always work. This is, Jesus went out into, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He met people's needs. He, you, you see that in scripture in the gospels regularly and you need to know what your community is and you need to know who you're talking to. Um, another quick breakdown. It'll show you, it'll give you these graphs and charts. They're great, it'll show you the, um, the ethnic and cultural makeup. It'll also show you the industries and jobs people have. This can help you know what time to offer your services. This can help you plan knowing how people's work rhythms are. If, if most of the people are working in educational services, 20%, what type of ministry should you have to those type of people? What needs do those people have? How is their work week? When you, there's certain communities you go into and you see that it's food services is more than 50 or 60%. Th those people have, th that group of people usually doesn't have a nine to five or a regular schedule. They're taking whatever shift they can get. So how do, you, how do you serve them? How do you place that ministry in a time people can access? Okay, um, real quick too, if you don't know what need the people have, Google it. This is, we Googled these phrases in this area. This looks different than when I Google, I need help with. Google will tell you what people in your community need help with. I need help with math. We are literally by a university. Depression, my homework, life, rent, money, resume, taxes, and electric bill. When you look at Google struggling with, people in this area are struggling with mental health, depression, motivation, identity, money, addiction, anxiety, and their faith. Who, somebody is looking for help, Googling these things after their kids have gone to bed and they're wondering, who's gonna help me with rent? Who helps with rent in Columbus? I mean, two different ones. You can tell that people, when you have a 20% poverty rate in this community, you better know people are looking for ways to pay their bills and rent. So what are you gonna do ministry? What are you gonna do local church? What are you gonna create that's gonna meet those needs? If you can go to the next one. So your, your ministry or your product is a solution to those needs. You're called to be a solution. You wanna make sure that you're offering the people that God's called you to, things that are going to, to resonate with them. Okay, so church service is the biggest thing. You know, how do you meet the needs of those people and draw them in? You can go, what, what are your um, sermon series looking like? What are the classes you're offering on the weekends to families? What other need can you meet? Do you have a, a financial assistance ministry? And that might, that's reflected here. But do those searches and figure out what the people in your community need and then create a solution and love and serve them in the name of Jesus. Um, the next one. 
So that's what your ministry is. It should meet your ministry event, whatever you're doing, meets the need of the people God's called you to reach. What's the best place or time to offer this? Placement is simply when and where. Parenting workshop is happening. So um, you want to teach parents in your community and in, in your church how to be better godly parents. When would be a good time to do that? Or when would not be a good time to do that? Should we do this event? If, are we going to try to reach just our church community? So let's have it at our church. Or maybe we want to offer a general class. And the goal of this is to reach people outside the community. So maybe we rent space in the local community event center and promote it that way. So whatever you're trying, the overall goal of what you want and the people you want to reach, is this for internal or church people? Or is this to reach the community? Can, you need to think, how hard is it for people to come into a church space? got a lot of people experiencing church trauma and sometimes walking through a church front doors takes a whole lot of effort and energy we took a season off from church and um i can tell you i honestly in going back post covid i had anxiety attacks like i walked out of church services so overwhelmed of like we were hurting and painful and you walk in and people are jumping up and down and there's lights and there's smoke and all of that and so that's part of like the product again what did i need if you would have googled um, I need help with anxiety. I would need help with, I'm not saying change your overall service and expression, hear me in that, but read the room. Know what your people need and make adjustments to your service. Make adjustments to your service times. If you want to hold a parenting workshop and reach people, don't have it at, at 1 p.m. on Wednesday. Don't have it on the same weekend that Little League starts. Don't do, look at the school calendars. Don't put it during spring break. Be strategic and you'll increase your impact and your capacity to reach people. And what's the, and will it be offered online? Online's not always the best solution. So you just, sometimes that can actually hinder who you're trying to reach. So you just really want to think that through. Okay, got more time than I thought. Um, count the cost, this is the price. You want to ask this question, what is the value of somebody participating in your ministry? And this is a hard one to answer because we're around ministry all the time. When the average church person spent, or the average, if somebody's a good church attendee right now, research shows us they go to church twice a month. Let's say your services are 90 minutes, parking lot in and out, grab a coffee, talk to somebody. They spend four hours in your church in the entire month. That you have to increase, hear me in this, the value of somebody participating in it because the cost to them, it's a free service, we say that, but they have to get up early. I don't know them. I saw quite a few moms in, in here earlier and over there. Got to get your babies ready. The amount of times a baby has a blowout right before you're going to walk out the door. Like you might, you also might be working multiple jobs. You, you might have been up late. The cost of somebody going through, again, your doors, you need to make sure you're offering something good and that's a value to them. Not what you think is a value because what they need is different than what you need, Pastor, or what, what they're looking for. I go to church, honestly, after being a church person, 20 plus years of church ministry, and now had to attend church as a non-staff member, I go to church to meet people. I listen to my pastor. I find Sunday services very distracting, but I go to meet people. I go to make sure my son goes to church and gets that rhythm and he's discipled. And I re-listen to my pastor's message on Monday or Tuesday on my way to work because I, church is distracting. 
you, you have a different perspective of what church is as a pastor from the pulpit. As a comms director, who usually a comms person usually spends a third of their waking hours in a week at church, and then you have to steward and be able to communicate the value of it to people who are only there like 1% of their weekly time. And so you just need to make sure that what you're doing, again, that it's worth all the effort and energy for people to engage. We talk about, real quick, there's an opportunity cost, and this is the biggest cost that anybody has. All of you gave up something to be here. You could be, for like I said, a lot of you, it's your day off. You're, you, you missed out on that this week. You're not gonna be as refreshed. You missed out on time with your family. It's snowing, or it was snowing, it's cold, so maybe it's not missing out as much. But if this was a sunny day, how many pastors know it's sunny, weather's good, the first time, man, attendance goes down because the opportunity cost for them to engage with you went up to them and it wasn't of enough value. They chose sunshine and warm weather and going to the park instead of sitting and listening to your preaching. Okay, that can sting and that can hurt, but those are things you have to think through. When you have even some of those weather changes, when you have some, when you have things that you know the rest of the community is going to engage in, either up the value or be okay with it being a lower attended weekend. But think through what somebody gives up to sit in your, in, in your church setting or go to your event or engage with your ministry. Sorry. Okay, go and tell. This is what you might have thought this whole workshop was about promoting. How do I grow my church? You can, the thing that makes promotion effective at least from a com, I've been a comms director where I'm given very little, little information to go and tell people about what we're doing. Um, so I know that that is always attention to manage in church or last minute communications or last minute planning. You need to always know who do you want to reach when you're creating the content to promote or go and tell. How do you want them to feel? So be mindful of the, your color palettes. Be mindful of, of the way advertisements look. How do you want them to feel? Um, sometimes churches have very masculine graphics, very masculine websites and color palettes. But you want to look at the demographics and who God's called you to reach. Most of the time, it's women making this decision of where their family is going to go on Sunday. So be mindful of who you want to reach, how you want them to feel about the church, and what do you want them to do. I'm not saying go make your website pink and aqua and purple by any means, like mine is. Um, what I am saying is everything communicates. Everything communicates, and it is a very noisy world. And if you don't know what you want people to do with the flyer, with your website, with your social, if you haven't answered who God has called you to reach, you're just going to make a bunch of noise. You're just going to distribute information instead of inviting people to Jesus' table. Like at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about reaching more people for Christ. You want to ask, where is your audience most actively engaged? Should you put this on Facebook? Should you do digital ads? Should you take out a newspaper ad? Knowing where they're going to be answers those questions. What medium will you use? Print video ads? What channels will you distribute your communication? And what's your call to action? You might have heard of the rule of seven. In marketing, people say it takes seven impressions for somebody to make a decision. They still teach us in universities. The rule of seven was created in the 1930s by the movie studios in Hollywood as they were trying to figure out how many times they needed to promote or get in front of people. So that's where you see the rise of these massive billboards, even in Los Angeles, where people could drive by and seven times they'd see a new movie thing and they would go. And they found that when, when they would get people seven times, they would convert them. 
It's not the 1930s. That's a, a almost 100-year-old rule. I would encourage you to think of 5, 10, and 20. People need to like see it five times before they even like stop. They need to then look at it. I'm not too sure. But it's, it's more around 20 times will people need to engage with your content before they're even going to consider making, uh, taking action of any time. So when you have that person at your church who only comes twice a month and is one of your most faithful, and you want them to go to a women's conference, you want them to sign up to serve, you want them to do whatever you're wanting, think about this rule. Because you might not even be hitting the, the, set, the rule of seven, this 100-year-old rule. When in doubt, at least get to seven. <laughs> but think about how long people need to hear and I think one of the rhythms of church stuff, because we're in it all the time, we're around it all the time, it's literally a third of our life, we'll tell people about the new event two weeks beforehand. And think, and we wonder, and we put all this effort and energy when you need to move out your promotions and be more strategic. Um, this is the number one question that I get asked. Should we be on social media? This isn't even really a part of my talk, but if you, if you look at who God's called you to reach, you can download this. It has all of the age ranges for you of where people are at. It has um, the amount of time of day they spend on all of these different apps. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You make the decision. If the people God has called you to reach spend time in these spaces, then yes, you should be in them. And then um, it's easy to, to do the marketing wheel when you're thinking externally and reaching the people outside. You need to work the marketing wheel different when you're trying to disciple the people that God has now. They've come through your door. You've invited them to the table, and now you need to disciple them. And they have different needs. They're in a different now season of life or stage than when they were Googling that night before, struggling with anxiety. They might still be struggling with anxiety, but now they at least know people. So how are you going to create ministries and services for the people God's called you to and that are staying with you? Sorry, babe, can you go to the next one? This is a summary of the last one. Oh, no, there. Um, think through how are you discipling the people God has entrusted to you beyond the Sunday service. We put a lot of effort on Sunday. We are missing out on opportunities to engage with people. When and where will you place that ministry or event? Count the cost. What, is that, what does it cost your church family to participate? And how will you communicate with them? Because how you communicate with people that don't know you yet is different than how you communicate with those around you. Real quick, putting this into context. I was asked to grow our choir. We had 20 choir members at the time. Um, one of the things we found, the cost of people to participate, was it the, the time that we had choir service start, or choir practice starting was too close when people, to, for people to come um, right off of work. So they couldn't feed their families. We had a lot of families. So we adjusted the time and we grew. 30 minutes made a difference and we bumped our growth. The next part though is there's still, we, didn't, we weren't growing enough, did a quick survey, found out what the challenge is. People wanted to bring their kid, would it participate if we offered childcare? We offered childcare and we fed our team and we started 30 minutes later, again, counting the cost when and where. We eventually went from 20 people to over 200 between both campuses. Working this wheel works. And then we had to, at the time, this is like 10 years ago, it, that looked like a website to communicate with them. Today it would look like an app to communicate with them um, as, as the, one of the most engaging ways. So all of this information is there for you. Um, and now Justin's going to talk to you a little bit more of how to engage the people that God has entrusted to you.
next month. That's so good. Anybody receive something from that? Seriously, really good. I did too, and I've heard it before. Um, I'm just curious, how many of us in the room are church planters? Like you're about to jump out into a new venture in ministry. Okay. Got a small handful. God bless you in post-COVID world. That's incredible. Seriously. Uh, and the rest of you, then I would assume, are either church leaders or pastors at pre-existing churches. Been there for a while. Okay. No, it just helps to know the, uh, the audience. Um, do you mind running through the, the slides, if that's okay? So, that's okay. No, that's fine. Um, okay. So, now we have hopefully gotten people to our service, to our event, to our something that we've invited them to. That's the goal of some of this, is we're reaching out to go. Now we have our people, and what do we do with them? I think that's the next one. I think for many of us in churches, we have great strategies and plans around the new visitor. How many people do like a growth track or a next steps course? So it's like a four-week membership class. Somebody makes their way through that. And then what's the ask as soon as they're done after week four? It's go serve and then start giving. And then we leave them alone and then maybe seasonally offer some community groups that can join midweek. And then we typically leave people up to their own device, devices to figure out their walk with God. All right, you're mature. You made it through a four-week class. Boom. We figured out how to get people in. But what do we do with them? How do we communicate, engage, and invite them into a deeper journey? And that's a little bit what we're going to talk about. And as we talk about internal marketing, if you will, or communications, or really engagement, I think this, to me, is the term that stands out most, is what are we doing thinking beyond Sunday? Right, so if you can go to the next, the next slide. This is the biggest, so I work with an organization called Subsplash. We work with 17,000 churches doing uh, websites, mobile apps, live streaming, digital giving. It's a holistic digital ecosystem for churches. I oversee our partnerships there. I work with uh, many denominations, denominational leaders around the world, and uh, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And I can tell you, after hundreds of conversations with local pastors from micro to mega churches, district superintendents, even general. I had a really great opportunity to sit down with uh, Superintendent Doug Clay at the Blue Vatican in Springfield, Missouri, and sit down for a few minutes and, and have some conversation with him, and it blessed my soul. I can tell you this is the number one question from everybody in ministry today that we are asked from a, uh, an engagement perspective is, where is our people? Has anybody asked that question? Many people are in here in established ministry environments. Um, I wonder if this stat rings true in this room. Would you say that post-COVID, I know people are starting to come back and trickling in, but typically when the mandates were lifted and people felt safe enough to engage back in your congregation, were you missing about half your people? Yeah, that's the national average, by the way. It's, it's about half the people just didn't show up. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Can you go to the, the next one? I heard a guy named Dave Adamson who does church marketing. Uh, he's worked with some really large ministries and done it for a long time. He was on a podcast with Kerry Newhoff, which he does great leadership um, content, um, about a year ago. And he said this when I was listening, and it fundamentally changed the way that I think about how we reach people in ministry. And he said this, that church attendance isn't decreasing, it's been decentralizing. So from a leadership perspective, we look at half the people gone on a Sunday morning. But the saints are still there. Maybe not in our building or in our services on Sunday, but they still are there. Hopefully, they're still, uh, you know, still alive and pursuing Jesus. They're just not coming. So how do we reach those people? And so when we're talking about reaching the people inside of our church, I think we need to start thinking a little bit differently about where our audience is. Can you go to the next one? So here's an interesting statistic from Ligonier and Lifeway Christian Publishing that came out last year called The State of Discipleship. And they found that 54% of Christians believe that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for attending church on a regular basis. 
That's a pretty alarming statistic. And maybe it's not alarming. Maybe it's just something to be aware of as well. The reality is, as Kristen mentioned earlier, if a regular attender today is defined by two times a month in service, that means that another week they're traveling, another week they're coming in online. Maybe one of those two is in person and then watching online. And in their mind, that counts for two times showing up for church. And you only saw them once on a Sunday. Does that make sense? We've got an audience that is decentralized. And so when we think about how we're engaging people, and by the way, engagement um, and even communications to some degree is a little bit different because what we're looking for is not just a distribution of information and content. We're looking for people to make a response. On an altar call, we're not just throwing out the fact that Jesus saves. We're hoping somebody's going to raise their hand and respond, right? Okay, this is the same thing. We're looking for people to engage, to take a step forward into their faith or their family of faith. And so if people are spread across the four corners of our cities, uh, we need to figure out if they're not in our building, how do we reach them? Can you go to the next one? Okay, so here are some questions. And uh, again, this is all available in, in the presentation we can send out. These are questions that uh, I have encountered, again, over the last couple of years of talking with the larger church body uh, globally and leaders from all different kinds of ecumenical expressions. Uh, should we measure attendance or engagement? That's the biggest one, I think. If, if there was any wrestle, I think, in the Western church, specifically today, it is what is the difference between attendance and engagement, and how do we measure it? And are we OK if people are engaging with our content alone and not coming to our Sunday service? I'll tell you, as a, as a pastor and preacher myself, I think the only people that really like big crowds are preachers. <laughs> I haven't really met lots of attendees that love just throngs of people and trying to find seats and everything else, that parking and everything else that comes with that. And so what does it look like to measure attendance versus engagement? Uh, we are a, I would say, a very analog attendance-driven mechanism, the church is. And we are facing a, uh, a society that is very digitally focused, uh, is an on-demand environment. Let me have this when I want it, uh, which we know is probably antithetical to discipleship anyway, because that's not what Christ asked of us. But that's the way people consume things today. So the next question that I hear a lot is then, what is our Beyond Sunday strategy? If they're not coming Sunday, but we know they're there, and they would probably call our church home, what are we doing to reach those people and even communicate them Beyond Sunday? Because our weekly bulletin that we print every week isn't being picked up by three-fourths of our church audience on a weekly basis. Should we be printing those? That's a good question. Should we be printing our Connect cards in the volumes that we do every week? I talk with churches that spend hundreds of dollars a month on printing, only to see those end up on the floor as people leave the service. Um, and I've seen, to my, to my wife's chagrin, as she's designed flyers and promotional materials and booklets and all sorts of things, promotional materials for the churches we've all been a part of for the last 20 plus years, end up on the floor after hours of work <laughs> went into creating those things. And, uh, and that's, that's just the reality of it. Um, ministry of pulpit or ministry of presence? This is an interesting one that I, that I find. Um, this phrase is something that I came up with after my conversations with people. But there's a lot of pastors that are realizing, while my Sunday sermon is vital, not everyone's hearing it. And so am I more focused on creating a ministry, my ministry of pulpit, or am I looking at just being with people and making sure that they are seen and heard and valued? So two different goals. Both are good, by the way. I'm not demonizing any of them. Both are good, but what do people really need today? Do they, do they want a, a 35, 40-minute, in some cases, hour-and-a-half message? Or would they, do they just want somebody to know they exist? I would think the data today probably leans more toward this. So how do we reshape our ministries to make sure we're meeting the needs of people and not just our training? 
uh, what is our strategy for making disciples after growth track? And that's a big one that I hear all the time. Hey, they're in, in a part of our church now. Now what? Uh, how are we leading people who aren't new? We always want to reach new people, and let's make sure we please don't neglect the faithful old saints who have been coming to our churches for a long time. Um, should Sundays, here's a big one. Ooh, and this, this might make us a little nervous. Should Sundays continue to take the majority of our focus, energy, and effort? Oh, help us, Jesus. I feel even nervous saying that. But that's a good question to ask. Should Sundays continue to take the majority of our focus? Because here's the number. If you don't remember anything from this uh, workshop, remember this number, 168. This is the amount of time that each of us have in a given week, 168 hours. Now, hopefully, most of us are sleeping 50 to 6 hours a week. I would hope that's something like that. Um, if not, that's another workshop uh, that's probably offered here today about <laughs> wellness. Um, that leaves just over 100 waking hours for the average individual. To Kristen's point earlier, somebody's going to spend maybe an hour and a half a week, two hours at the most, at your service, which means, and I can say this anecdotally, it probably rings true for many of us in this room, that means that as churches that we have led and been a part of, We've spent 90% of our midweek resources to serve 2% of somebody's waking hours, and then we give, give the rest of that time for spiritual formation to all these logos that we see on the screen, and we wonder why there's a disconnect. That's real. That's real, y'all. Uh, Netflix is doing a really good job spiritually forming people. Now, it's the wrong spirit. We would all argue they're doing phenomenal. Disney Plus, doing a great job discipling our people. Really good. So we need to start thinking about if we're going to engage our people and, and we're going to make sure that they are fed and resourced, uh, then what are we doing to make sure that our Beyond Sunday strategy is in play? Okay, so there's three ways, and we'll touch on these, then we'll open it up for some Q&A. This may seem like an interesting uh, step here in terms of reaching people internally, but I would say this is probably the biggest one that I've faced in talking again with pastors and church leaders for the last three years globally is what is your theology around digital discipleship? Do you have a theology? That may sound a little bit strange, but for any tools or ideas um, in the history of the church, we've always gone back to scripture and gone back to God to wrestle with the text, wrestle with the changes and developments, and then make our decisions based on that and how we're going to proceed, right? Does that sound pretty like a pretty tried and true exercise? Do we have a theology around digital discipleship, or have we developed a belief in reaching people through these means? Again, I heard, I heard a pastor say about a year ago, he said, um, during, in the middle of COVID, obviously that accelerated people's uh, dependence on digital because we couldn't see each other in person, so everything went up digitally. And it fundamentally changed the way that we interact with one another. And this pastor said, you know, as I look out over what I, the landscape of the Western church specifically, he goes, it appears to me that a digital tsunami has rocked an analog church. And we've not adjusted or pivoted fast enough to do that. So when we're talking about reaching people internally, not externally, now internally, how are we engaging? Uh, then it's probably time that we do a digital tools and platforms audit. Uh, where are your people connecting? If I were to raise your hand and say, are you, do you have a Facebook page? The answer is yes. But here's an interesting statistic. Over 50% of people are actually considering leaving Facebook. So again, while there's a lot of audience there, it's a really messy environment. You have to ask people to sift through cat photos and pictures of somebody's lunch and a sponsored ad and a suggested video and a local something that was in there. And then we send them into these environments and we're like, engage with our ministry. And they're lost within 10 seconds because it's so noisy. So 
When's the last time that you asked the question, hey, where are you connecting when you're online? Where do you, where do you go to, to, to connect with us? Is it, is it the email that we send out? Uh, is it the connect card that you filled out? Uh, is it the website? Are you on Facebook? Are you on YouTube? Where, where are you? Um, and then the next one would be create clear next steps. You know, this, this is an interesting one, and we'll wrap this up shortly because we could dive deeper into these. But I think this one here, we live in a world today that is saturated with uh, build your own experience. And people are exhausted of making that many decisions. There's a reason why uh, a lot, there's, you know, you, you see a rise in uh, Sirius XM radio, let's say. That, that subscription has exploded. And I wonder if part of it is, is because you don't have to select or make your own playlist. Somebody did that for you, and you can just listen to it. You have people that are leaving uh, environments. I mean, how many of you, uh, you in this room, and myself included, sat down to watch Netflix one night? And it was an hour and a half before we actually decided on what we were going to watch. And then it was time for bed. <laughs> because there were so many choices there, we couldn't even pick it up. People are exhausted in making choices. And sometimes we offer so many, uh, and we almost do a, a choose your own adventure inside of our church life. People just want to know, just tell me what to do. We, we live in a society that is exhausted when it comes to, and fatigued when it comes to making decisions. So we want to create clear next steps. Let me just tackle um, this one here uh, first, and then, and then we will uh, open it up for some questions here. Yeah, if you can go to the, the next, even the next one. I wanted to start here really quickly with a, just a verse that we're all, we should all be well, well acquainted with, um, but just to highlight one word, because when we talk about a theology of digital discipleship, I feel, feel like it'd be remiss to at least not include scripture in this as we're wrestling with the implications of these kinds of tools and the comfortability that we have in people actually using them. Um, so we know this great commission. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, praise God. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This word nations here doesn't refer actually to physical boundaries. The original text that it was written in actually talks about multitudes of people. So if you want to even make a paraphrase of the word nation, it's ethnos is the, is the, is the original word that this is uh, translated from, literally means multitudes or gathering of people. So you could say, go therefore and make disciples uh, wherever people are gathering. And in this case, wherever multitudes are gathering. Well, they're gathering online. And they're gathering from, they're gathering in places where they can connect in uh, at their own will and on-demand kind of environments. And they're looking for, uh, for us to lead them spiritually and to provide resources that they can access at any time, even beyond our Sunday sermon. Um, I think that to me, and there's many other verses that we could wrestle with. And if you want to have a conversation and, 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 uh, and wrestle through a theology of technology or digital discipleship, we'd love to do it. But this is just an interesting one. This is not physical borders or even resign necessarily in the original definition to a specific place. It's wherever multitudes are gathering. That's what the nations are. Today, our nations maybe look a little bit different in terms of the digital place. Where are people going and how many people are spending time? Let's, uh, let's go to uh, the next one here. Uh, yeah, well, let me just share about this. One of the things that's interesting, so this little uh, graphic here, this so subsplash, the organization I'm a part of, this is how we view the discipleship journey, and we build things on our platform to meet these needs for local churches. Um, and, uh, but the reason I have this here is because this used to be linear before COVID. So, and it started with discover, and then attend, and then grow, belong, give, and share. Today, people can enter the life of your church through any one of these points. 
So maybe, uh, how many people started giving, or you, you discovered givers who were giving online and you'd never met them in person before during the pandemic? Anybody? I know, yeah, we did. Uh, in fact, when we had planted our micro church in Seattle, um, uh, that was the last, the, the last ministry thing we did, we had somebody who had only attended our gatherings twice and they were our biggest givers. And we never saw them, but they, but they were our biggest givers. And we were like, well, that's interesting because at this point now, in the way that the world is used to working and the behavior of society has changed, if people are moved by any point along this journey, they could give and you never even saw their face. So what are we doing to make sure that we have great intake and onboarding points for both people that are explorers and for those who are fully engaged. Those strategies look a little bit different, but I think at this point, people can really jump in. We would do outreaches in the past, and uh, we'd have a bunch of people sign up, and we knew most of our signups would be people who were regularly attending our church. Today, you could do an outreach, and somebody found you on Facebook somehow or some shared website page that a friend sent them. You never saw them before, but yeah, they want to come and, and, and do some work with, with, uh, with poverty alleviation or uh, food programs, but they don't even attend your church and they're willing to start giving and belonging and participating long before they even knew what your church name was. So we just live in a different world now where people can onboard into the discipleship journey in ways, again, that transcend analog. Okay, uh, two more stats here about this and then, then we'll open up for questions because there's a lot in here and we can't answer it all today. This is the amount of time that the average American spends uh, dialed into their mobile phone. So if ever there was an opportunity to go into spaces or where people gather and bring the good news of Jesus and discipleship resources, I think where they're spending double the amount of time in one day that they would on a Sunday morning in our churches is probably a, a good place to start, would be, probably would be something to consider. 90% of that time, by the way, is spent using mobile apps. Okay, let's do the next one, 10 minutes. This is the amount of time that people, uh, every 10 minutes, look up their phone, at their phone, up to 96 times a day. That's incredible, I do that probably more than every 10 minutes, to be honest, I bet you mine's probably double that. And then as you drop down in age, it goes even higher. 89% of all media is consumed via mobile apps. Um, th these, are, these are big statistics, and the reason we say this is when we talk about uh, even doing an audit, and this is C CTV, this is Roku, how many people have a Roku on their TV? You, you can't even go to Walmart or Costco without buying a TV and it's already on there. And you didn't even ask for it, but it's just there. So one of the things that Subsplash does though, and, 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 you, and there's other organizations that do this too, but this is where people are also connecting. Um, you know, there's been, there's been Sundays where we haven't been able to be there in person and it's really nice to be able to pull up our branded church Roku app and go right to the Sunday message live streamed or on demand without having to sift through YouTube. Has anybody tried to sift through YouTube? It's, it's a disaster. Okay, full, full disclosure here, on, more of an honesty. About six months ago, I was looking for a sermon, and I've been, I've been doing this for a long time, like a lot of us in here. We're like, yeah, we're disciplined. I'm gonna go in and find the thing I'm looking for. I couldn't find it anywhere else. I went into YouTube to find it, found the sermon, started watching it, and within 10 minutes, I saw a thumbnail of a behind the scenes look at the Batman movie that came out like a year and a half ago. I'm like, I'm gonna watch that. And so I bounced out of the sermon, as a trained ministry professional and jumped in to watch behind the scenes about the Batman and suddenly I'm like, dang it YouTube, your algorithm is so good. And by the way, a $500 billion algorithm meant to distract and feed content to people to keep them trapped in their ecosystem, not move them along and forward in their journey of faith. These are the environments that we send people into and wonder why they're distracted. So when we do an audit, we wanna make sure that we have the right tools for the right job. If you have a website, how many of you have a website? Awesome. You know what websites are great for? Explorers. They want to know when your service is, 
Is there a statement of faith? Is there a sermon I can watch? What time is the sermon or the service and can you take care of my kids? That's like it. That's it. Five points. Those five little points should be front and center on your website. It should be mobile responsive and it should be less than six thumb swipes for somebody to find that basic information or at least one or two taps to get to that information because that's all that people want. Once they move into being engaged from the explorer stage, they're not going to go back to your website again. And it's not because it's not good. It's just outlived its purpose. They have a different need at that point. They have a different need. And so what happens is, um, because the majority of time, think about your own behavior. When you want to engage deeper with something, if you're curious, you'll go, when Disney Plus came out, let's just use that, because they're all in the news right now. Many people went, and they went onto the website and, and looked for Disney Plus. What's the first thing Disney Plus asks you to do when you log onto the website? I'll tell you if you haven't been there. Um, go download our app. Because they are creating a distraction-free ecosystem where they're going to lead you on a journey of Disney. And they're abandoning YouTube. I mean, they'll still post there for exposure. But to really engage you and to take you deeper into their story, their narrative, their discipleship journey, if you will, they want to take you to a self-contained, standalone, distraction-free, clutter-free ecosystem where they can funnel practical next steps to you like, hey, did you like this video? Watch this one. And suddenly, you know, 15 hours later, you're like, what did I just binge? Yeah. And Disney took you on a discipleship journey. For churches, I think it's the same. And finally, to create clear next steps, and you go to the next one here, I would say this, the digital space is as vital as the physical. For the amount of time that we spend, and this is, again, this is how do we engage with those who are inside of our community already. We spend hours thinking about the layouts of our church buildings, don't we? The signage that goes up. Are the restroom signs clear? Do people know where to check in their kids? We'll spend hours making sure that that walkthrough experience is cohesive. And then we'll put our website up on there, not update it for five years, and wonder why people <laughs> never showed up to our church. Right? So I would say today, the digital space is just as vital, maybe more even, than the physical space in the way that physical space holds different meaning for people today. One last thing about this, and then again, we'll open it up for questions. Simple is better than complex. Okay, so this is a church on our platform called the Heights Church. And the reason I highlighted this, this is a mobile app on Subsplash. And again, this is not necessarily a sales pitch. There are lots of tools out there that you can use. I would just say find something and use it. Um, the other thing, by the way, when you find something, um, most churches that uh, I've been a part of, that I, that I work with, usually have about nine different platforms like duct taped together on the back end. Um, and they're trying to find a clean experience for people engaging. It's exhausting, though, if you're an administrator. You got, I didn't go to Bible college to learn code. I wish they would have offered that in the first year, um, but they don't. So here, inside their app, they've got something simple. I'll read it for you since it's small. It says, I'm new to Heights Church. That's pretty clear. Um, sometimes you use language like almost like you want to get in a relationship. Hey, you want to be besties? And that's the phrase we use. People don't want that. They just want to know, what do I do if I'm new? I'm looking for a ministry. I want to join a life group. I want to be baptized. I have a prayer request. I want to serve. Very clear. Again, sometimes we are so creative. Man, when I was a youth pastor for years, we, uh, we called our youth ministry all sorts of different things. Ignite, explode, exploding for Christ. Next, what? Level, Next youth. level youth. I mean, like we have, and then we wonder sometimes why people are confused because it makes sense to us internally, but it's not necessarily clear to the audience that we're reaching. So um, just something there. Okay, so here's the final question that, that would be a great takeaway. What's your next step? And of everything we've learned today, we've covered a lot, and I know that we have. What's your next step? Is it to take a look at how we are reaching out to the community around us and making sure we're meeting the needs? Is it 
looking at the tools that we're using today? Is it putting a new priority on digital? Is it, what is it, what is it that will help advance what God has called you to do and truly serve the needs beyond the Sunday service that God has asked us to do in the community? We, um, so if you go, if you scan this QR code, you can download um, our presentation separately. And there's also a link where you can um, learn more about Subsplash. Mm -hmm. I do want to um, just, we'll, we'll take questions just one second. Being on YouTube, social media, having a website, being in all of these busy spaces, that's a good thing. Yeah. What we're talking about, that's how you reach people. You want to be out there. But when, when we people join your community, and now you're responsible for stewarding their spiritual formation, mm -hmm. don't send them to YouTube. Don't put, I mean, you can put Facebook Live, do things like that, but it's so distracting, distraction-oriented, you lose people. And so if you can make it easy for people, if you know they're going to be on the Ten minutes. Ten minutes. <laughs> so I noticed they have a class they're offering called the Long Before You Believe. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm curious, based on the comments that are made here, how is that going to be integrated since we're talking about decentralizing the personal in-person service? What are they going to belong to before they believe mm. if it's a little bit of different focus now? I think it's a great question. That is a really great question. I think it, it's a layered approach. Again, this is this is one one tool or one perspective to take. As microchurch planners in a very non church environment in Seattle, belonging before you believe is something that we help to hope close to. We created an experience because the community we lived in, most churches So my second question, my final question is, should you have an online pastor and an in-person pastor, or is that divisive? I think it depends on who you're called to reach. <laughs> and a lot of, like, it's a given that you have to stream online. A lot of churches that used to have online campuses, they, I would say that's more in the, in the mega church space, where they have massive reach and resources. If you were a church under Right now, when you're looking for 
people, you're not wanting to resource another space where people don't, where, where people, where you're saying you can stay home. So there's little things to do, like if you have an online church service, say if you're, walk, if you're watching here in Columbus, and you if you're watching online around the world, welcome, but if you live in the Columbus area, come and join us next week. We want to meet you, we want to shake your hand, you are welcome in this space. And begin to get <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to try to articulate this well. So we're in a situation right now where we're just like <coughs> having trouble with, you know, your circle graph was perfect because I feel like, I'm like, yes, that's right. So we basically have had a huge influx of people um, recently um, per the size of our church mm-hmm. but come in and like no knowledge of Christ at all. Yes. So we've got about 40 people sitting right now that just are so green obvious, right? Mm-hmm. So they've come in, they're looking for that family atmosphere, which is kind of our marketing strategy. It works for where we're at. And they have come in and we immediately try to like, within a reasonable amount of time, get you plugged in somewhere, get you serving somewhere. So we have like an 80% serve rate. Wow, huge. Our hiccup is that we we can't get them engaged with the site, like biblical Mm-hmm. And so I recently put out a survey just trying to figure out, like, you know, is it digital? Is it Zoom classes? Is it in person? And I can't even get people to engage the survey. So I'm like, so then we talked about, okay, well, maybe we try to a one-on-one discipleship so that we base it on their schedule. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to launch well. It's like, how do you figure out we're missing an element? And mm-hmm.
Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, our, my, as marketing, my hiccup is what is the magic of using the app mm. to draw them in without them? You know that, you know how you have an app and it's like alert, alert, and finally you unsubscribe and you disconnect entirely? Yes. So have you found like a, ma like a magical system with that? Yeah, the, the Goldilocks yeah. Uh, rule. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a couple ways. Uh, with the, our platform specifically, you can, with push notifications is what you're talking about, yeah, right. you can set up different groups. So if you're funneling everything through the general channel, you're going to disconnect people. Because if you're saying, hey, women's ministry, but three-fourths or two-thirds of your audience or one-third of your audience is men, they may not take that as interest. So have them sign up to a men's dedicated channel. Or if it's for kids and families, have a dedicated channel there. And then I would say from the general channel, um, you know, maybe three times, maybe four times a week, depending on what you're pushing out, probably three at the most in the general channel, then you have people subscribe to more nuanced communication. Okay, so if you've had that disconnect, um, is there a way to kind of re-engage that? Like, do you have to tell them, like, I mean, how do you get them to re-engage in that? We, have, we had a similar situation, and so you can create on your homepage, customize your app experience, and then you do need, like, either an email communication or an app Or, who's ever communicating on Sunday just jumps up for four weeks in a row and says, hey, I know we usually say to put our phones away, but actually take your phone out together. Let's just show you the resources that are available to our church and do a quick five-minute tutorial and do that every single week and ask people to take those steps forward so they engage and recognize what's there. Because when they will, I promise you they will. People go where there's value and they go to where there's info they're looking for. If you make that abundantly clear, they'll make it. Okay. We, we are at time. We just want to yeah.